This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Maryland sports fans, there's only one sports book in the great state of Maryland with over 50 years experience booking bets and supporting customers. Betfred Sportsbook at Long Shots is now open and is the only sports book in Frederick offering cash betting on football, basketball, world soccer, and more. Visit the Betfred Sportsbook at I-270 and MD-85 in Frederick, right next to Longshot's off-track betting. Go to BetfredSports.com for more information and your chance to win exclusive merchandise. Must be 21 or older. Play responsibly. For help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey out there, rock and rollers. Welcome to the 37th edition of the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock Podcast. Recorded right here in central London, just off Abbey Road. And after a couple of weeks of reviewing KISS and their amazing documentary on A&E Kistory, Action Jackson and I decided to take a little bit of a, of a detour here. We're going to talk about a band that is huge in the UK, could not be bigger in popular culture or in the zeitgeist of rock music. And that's Oasis. Oasis kind of defined what it was to be British in the mid-90s kind of led a cultural revolution that was also part political and just an uprising of British youth feeling positive, feeling good about themselves again. Of course, they were huge all around the world, huge sales in Europe, in the UK, and all parts of the Commonwealth. They also did well in the US, but not quite as well. Like, they're one of the biggest bands of all time in the UK. They're kind of just another good band uh, from the US point of view. Uh, And we were slow to adopt them. We were in college in the mid-90s early mid-90s when they broke and we were not big fans you know Wonderwall and Champagne Supernova may have gotten on the charts but at that point we were really into classic rock and given what was going on around us with like Counting Crows or Hootie and the Blowfish at the time we thought well if it's new it's not that good Uh, and we're going to ignore it and we're just going to go delve deeper into the Stones catalog 
or you know, wait for Rush to make a new album and then uh, and go see them. So we kind of ignored Oasis the first time around. Luckily, later in life, I found them. And instead of doing one of their huge albums like Be Here Now or What's the Story, Morning Glory, I want to talk about the first album that they made after I had really gotten into them. And that's 2005's Don't Believe the Truth. I think it's their, it's at least their second best album ever made. Might put it, have to put it behind What's the Story, Morning Glory. But it's an amazing record that kind of diversifies their sound while still sounding very much Oasis. And it was the greatest iteration or lineup of the band ever because in addition to the Gallagher brothers, Liam on vocals and Noel on guitar, chief songwriter in vocals. They also brought in Gam Archer on guitar. They brought in Andy Bell on the bass. And they had Zach Starkey, who'd spent a lot of time with The Who and other bands, come in and do their recording and then tour with them. So they had this fantastic band with a lot of talent in it, along with Noel's writing. But even though Noel wrote all the songs for the first four albums and loosened up the reins a little bit on the fifth, Heathen Chemistry, on the sixth album, Don't Believe the Truth, he doesn't even write half the songs. And it's an eclectic mix of really cool songs that at a time, 2005, there wasn't a lot of new rock and roll going on. Napster was kind of happening still, so people were stealing music or getting it for free. Rock and roll was dying out, and the music industry was kind of starting to push boy bands, solo singers, girl bands, people they could control from top to bottom and not worry about having to develop as a band or to have issues as the boys in Oasis clearly did over the years. So we're going to dive into that one here today. Now, as usual, we want you to follow us on Twitter at ugly underscore werewolf or at actionjack72. And you can check out all past episodes at www.uglyamericanwerewolf.libsyn.com. And I encourage you to go to feedspot.com where you can also subscribe to our feed and where they feature us in their top 25 rock podcasts. So for this week... We're going to review the somewhat unknown, certainly in the U.S., unheralded sixth album Oasis, Don't Believe the Truth, right here on The Wolf. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon.
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So Oasis is a band that really kind of hit it big while we were in college, Jackson, but we totally ignored them, at least I did, because I was of the mindset at the time that if anything new comes out, it automatically sucks. Or, you know, if kids my age like it, it sucks because they're the ones who are pushing Hootie and the Blowfish up the charts and the Counting Crows and all those bands that at this point in time from America are really kind of afterthoughts, you know, or they weren't that big of a deal in the long scheme of things. I don't know. Is is that the way you kind of remember it? How, I mean, did you ever come to Oasis? Not really. I mean, I, I remember hearing Supersonic when it came out on the radio and I'm like, eh, it's a pretty good track. Mm-hmm. I mean, I like it. The guitar works pretty good in it they kind of had an attitude uh that was kind of cool they were from england okay you know you're checking some boxes here right uh to me they kind of the, the second record they put out like with the champagne supernova i was mm-hmm. like Mleh. i, I kind of thought they were more pop they, they they were big they were all over mtv and you're right i think we were both in the same mindset of if it's new and it's hot on MTV in like the the general rotation nah we, we were into the good old stuff the Stones and right. the Who and everything like that so the other problem I kind of had with them right off the bat was it seemed like they were always at each other's throats <laughs> like from the beginning they just could not get along with each other there was that that show that they did I think for MTV where Liam was sick right and his voice so wasn't up to par without him and all of a sudden there's a shot of him in, a, in the balcony with a pint and it's like wait a minute what's going on here drama there's a lot of drama there and then I, I also remember Noel saying something about they asked him well you know what if you guys couldn't couldn't make it work couldn't get together or something and Noel just said well then Wonderwall would have been the first single off my solo record so it was kind of like wait well these guys are they're mean mm-hmm. so I, yeah I had never really and I think the other problem was too they really didn't get put too hard other than MTV on American radio. Well, so that's the kind of dynamic I want to explore a little bit here because Oasis is one of those bands where they don't have huge, huge success on both sides of the pond. They had success in America, yes, but they were just another successful band at that time for Americans, whereas in the UK, they were a era-defining, generational-defining band. This whole kind of new wave of Britpop, which apparently like Blur, who were, you know, nothing to us, or, or maybe like the Stone Roses, you know, people like that. They were huge, huge, huge in the UK and kind of throughout Europe and the, the kind of what I, you know, the UK satellites or the Commonwealth, you know, places like Australia and Canada. They do well around the world, yes, but it's basically in the British colonies for the most part. So yeah, that's something I want to explore because I was just listening to the new Rock on Tours podcast and they had Joe Elliott of Def Leppard on there. It's a really good one, man. And he, uh, you know, they were kind of talking about how like, 
you know, you're a British band and you did a cover album that was really only on British songs, the stuff that influenced you growing up, but you're not nearly as well liked or as big as you are in the United States. The United States, Def Leppard is huge, you know, and their albums were huge. They're all over MTV. We did a show on Pyromania. We'll do another one on Hysteria, I have no doubt. But over here, they never really got any love. Like, it wasn't until Hysteria that they had like a like a top 10 song or something like that in the UK. Whereas in America, they were a big deal. And, I, and Oasis was kind of the reverse of that. They could not have been bigger in the UK. But in America, yeah, they were, yeah, okay. But they, What's the Story Morning Glory did well. And then you know, the next one did pretty well. And then, you know, whereas they were Britain's, you know, young lads, you know, kind of pulling together this new British sound and young British identity. They finally got rid of, rid of Thatcher after all those years. Finally, young people were starting to feel like they could be something again. It was almost like Oasis was their marching call. They're, they're, they were so much bigger over here than just a pop rock band. They were like Britain, young people, we're back. Interesting. Yeah, because we didn't get any of that here. I mean, they, right. like you said, they were just another band from... England. Yeah, I remember Blur. I remember the Stone Roses also, but like kind of. I mean, they had a track or two on the on the radio, but that was it. Yet, yeah, but to think that the, these were like an era defining band shows you how how off we are from the UK. Mm-hmm. Like you think, oh, you know, it, it was synced up pretty well. No, apparently not. Well, and not on everything. And some bands make it because their sound just jibes well with the culture. And some bands don't. And of course, sometimes it comes down to how good or bad your A&R person is uh, or how, uh, you know, how big the record company in England or in Europe or, it, it, you know, it might be rest of the world from America do, you know. But the fact of the matter is you become big in America, you sell huge numbers of records, whereas, you know, you become mm-hmm. big in England – that's great. I mean, like I was looking at some sales stuff where it's like they'd gone, what's the story Morning Glory had gone 15 times platinum in the UK. I'm like, oh my God, that's unbelievable. But it, but that's still only, you know, it's not like, it's not even 5 million copies, whereas it went six times platinum in the US. And so they outsold in the US, you know, what they did in the UK by pure numbers, but it's 15 times platinum versus six times platinum kind of thing. Yeah, that is, to your point, the sales figures are not the same. Like, you know, I just think platinum is a million. So if it's 15, you sold 15... Well, no, it's less than that. Then why do you call it platinum then? Well, that's because, you know, it's a population thing. And, you know, you might say it's not even, I mean, if we have, we have at least four and a half times the population that the UK does in America. Let's call it five times to keep the math simple. So if if a million for us is platinum, then one fifth of that should be 200,000 should be platinum for them. And it's actually 300. Um, so, uh, you know, but whatever. It's it's a nice distinction it's for each country because you can go platinum in Finland by selling like 15,000 copies or something like that, right? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, not, it's not a very big country. So if you sell that many in Finland, you're doing really, really well. But, you know, going... You know, eight times in Australia is a big deal in Australia, but I mean, you still haven't even sold a million units down there, right? So, but but still, I mean, they got off to a huge start. Those first two, three albums with What's the Story, Morning Glory being the big one that had Wonderwall and Champagne Supernova on it. And I guess that's why I didn't like them because, first of all, they had to talk about getting high. You're supposed to do that like, you know, you're supposed to say, I'm standing next to a mountain. 
I'm chopping down the end of my edge of my hand. Like, you know, is that a big pile of cocaine you got there, Jimmy? We don't know. What's he talking about? But it's like, where were you while we were getting high? I'm like, well, that's not real subtle, was it? You know, you're supposed to be, you know, under, you know, and, and girls like Wonderwall. So I'm like, well, it can't be that good. Um, yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> and they were kind of, they were kind of doing like the, well, I know in the United States, they kind of got sort of a bad rap because it was like, oh, you're just trying to be the Beatles. You're just trying to, you know, you're trying to sound like that. That's all we ever heard. Oh, they're ripping off the Beatles. Correct. Yes. And and I think that, that uh, maybe the things that they were saying to kind of resonated more with people over there than people in the United States. I mean, again, we're all about Taco Bell and driving cars fast over here. So yeah, I, maybe we just lost it. It just didn't resonate. We didn't. We didn't have the same connection. But but uh, you're right. Wonderwall was huge, and I think Champagne Supernova was also huge on the charts. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think at that point in time, I just kind of said, mm-hmm. "What else?" Is there? Yes, it's not hard enough for me. I guess it's not. It's not rock enough. It's more pop sounding. Right. Yeah. And and of course, going back to explore that album later, there's some fantastic rock on there. That that album is awesome. It's it's definitely one of my very favorites of the last 30 years because most of my albums are a lot older than that uh, but yeah it's it's fantastic not to mention the fact that it's, it's basically a double album when you put together all the b-sides i mean they had six singles off that record and they had basically another album worth of b-sides some of which were hits in their own right acquiesce being what is maybe the most incredible B-side of all time, standing up on its own, one that became a hit for them and, and that, you know, I, they, they did until the very end. So that was a, it's a very fertile time. And it's another thing I like about Oasis, they do have so many B-sides. You don't just get everything on the album. And they have stuff they just released in Japan. They have stuff for the English B-sides. They have stuff for UK, US B-sides. I mean, you have to really dig and search and find all of them. And I've, I've always enjoyed that. Of course, Master Plan is an album you can get that has basically the best of the B-sides to that point. But uh, it was all no Gallagher just being able to, to write these incredible tunes. I mean, I don't think he co-wrote or, or let anybody else write anything on an album until Heathen Chemistry. Correct. Yeah, and, and that's that's one of the things that I kind of want to get into with with uh, Don't Believe the Truth because he did run the show mm-hmm. for a long time. And I think maybe, maybe that was something Liam had a problem with, you know, being a employee almost you know here's here's what you're going to sing here's what you're going to do so I, I think that that may have added to the the tension and i think part of it was you know if no if uh, noel could sing i mean he can sing don't get me wrong i mean he's got a pretty good voice but he doesn't have that front man rock star voice if he had that and on the flip side if liam could write the songs mm-hmm. they would have never gotten together so they kind of always had that, like, you know, they, they had that symbiotic relationship that they, they really needed each other, mm-hmm. but I don't think they liked being around each other. Yeah. And to your point from earlier where they did, yeah, they did the TV thing where Liam went in the balcony and started throwing ice and stuff at, at Noel. He's like, I can't sing, but I, I'm well enough to be a jackass kind of thing. <laughs> it was at that point, Noel's like, well, I'm going to have to sing some songs because he's going to pull this nonsense. I'm going to be able to do something up there. And so that's that's kind of how that started. I think Noel's got a killer voice, actually. Yep. You're right. It's not what Liam has, that front man booming out kind of thing. And of course, Liam has this odd charisma. I, I think it's odd. I think some people think it's amazing, but, but I'm like, you know what? <laughs> 
you're strutting around, and then when it's Noel's turn to sing, you stand deftly still, like you're waiting for the bus or something like that. Like you don't grab the tambourine and get the crowd going. You don't go off as maybe a Mick Jagger would while Keith does his songs. You just stand there and kind of stare. It's very odd to me, but it works for him. <laughs> it is weird because you're right. Most of those situations like that, the, the quote-unquote lead singer will do something. Yeah, they'll, they'll play, they'll kind of fumble through some chords on the guitar, or they'll, yeah, they'll grab the tambourine, they'll, they'll go away. They'll do something to, to say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm going to be part of this too. But... Yeah, to just stand there, just like, are you done yet? Right. Are you finished? I'm, I'm waiting. Basically, he's annoyed to be there. For me, um, <laughs> when you get rid of, you know, your little pet project, but it is cool to hear to hear them change up the the leads because hmm. I do enjoy that. You know, with really with any band, if you've got that, like, especially if it's somebody who they, their voices are not super different, but it is cool when they when you you have that. Like we were talking about Kiss last week. You know, the Peter Chris songs where it's like, okay, that's a totally different voice right. do you want to hear him sing every song no. no but the one or two on the record it is it is it's a nice change of pace i agree yeah no doubt so i wanted to kind of take that kind of how did you come into oasis because that's that's how i got to don't believe the truth and why it's so okay. big for me it's kind of my new entry point to oasis so oasis had been there obviously for about 10 years i'm living in louisville and one night you know i'm out with friends i think it's like a saturday night so i go out with friends have a couple of Pops. I'm driving home midnight-ish, something like that, and I hear a song on the radio that's really awesome, and I think it's Oasis, but I'm not a hundred percent sure. But I'm like, oh my god, that's an amazing song. What is that? And so I go home, and this is during the heady days of Napster, where you could find anything, and music was basically free. And you know, so I, get, I said, "Give me some Oasis." So I start downloading some stuff to see what it is, and then I start listening. Okay, that's not it. Okay, that's not it. And it was Don't Look Back in Anger. I'm like, wow, that's an awesome song, man. That is so good. You know, what album was that on? Well, that's on What's the Story of Morning Glory. All right, well, give me that whole thing, and then I'll, I'll do that. And, of course, it was great. At that point, you could find B-sides. You say, give me What's the Story of Morning Glory. It'll, you can not only get the whole album, but you can get Acquiesce, and you can get Rocking Chair. You can get, uh, you know, all these great B-sides. So I had them on there, too. And I started listening to that back and forth. I'm like, damn, these guys are amazing. Why did I skip over them, right? So I'm like, well, you know, now I'm into them. So I tried to get some more of their downloads, and then eventually, Don't Believe the Truth became the first new Oasis album ever released once I had now discovered them. So it was the first time where I could get excited, like, oh, hey, new Oasis album coming out. Cool. I can't wait to pick it up. I can't wait to see what the new songs are and all that. And you know me, I like to get the deluxe edition anytime we can. They released one. It was on CD, but it was also on DVD audio, which you could flip it over. It was one disc. So CD was on one side. DVD audio was on the other side, um, which is basically you just play through the DVD player on your, on your stereo. But it also had a cool video which I think you watch where it kind of introduced they're kind of sitting there the four of them really talking about how they wrote the songs how they came together all that kind of stuff and it just the DVD audio I don't know I had it through some good speakers that's for sure it just sounded so clear to me it sounded so good I listened to it over and over and I don't know I just I felt like it was an amazing new album and I hadn't been hearing much 
much new rock and roll at the time, 2003, four, five. Coldplay is one thing, but like, this is more my speed. And I don't know, at that point, I'm like, now I got to go see him play. Well, that is always cool when you, when you kind of, you turn over this rock somewhere and you say, oh, wait a minute, what is this? I have not heard this before. You were talking about Don't Look Back in Anger. What I always loved about that song was the, and my wife said ripping off the Beatles, but I'm like, no, no, no. With the, I mean, it's it's imagine is the beginning part of it. Then the the chords, mm-hmm. bum bum bum. But it's not, then they go into their song. It's not ripping off. It's a tip of the cap. It's the we love you. We're, mm-hmm. we're giving you the we're giving you a little shout out there. So I just thought that was cool. And that was I think that was the first big single that Noel sang. Think uh, it sounds right to me, yeah, yeah, and so that was kind of cool. It was like, okay, so this dude, he's got some chops, he can actually sing, but then, yeah, to, to look at this album, I've, I'd never heard it before, to be perfectly honest with mm-hmm. you. So I said, all right, well, let's jump into this. I jumped into it with the deep, with the uh, that intro thing, the video that they were talking about, it mm-hmm. a little rough, had to watch it more than once. Yeah, uh, Liam, every other. Every other word out of his mouth is a curse word, so that's heavily was heavily redacted. Right, Gem Archer. Mm-hmm. Good luck with that kid, because he's speaking English, but <laughs> it's it's pretty rough. So yeah, I had to I had to watch it a couple times. I just love the way I love the way Liam talks and and the uh, phrases that he comes up with. Like he he it, it said that there were some nice little numbers for the ladies mm-hmm. on this record. He referred to the other guys in the band as top lads. And I just, I just love that. It's like you're, I know you're speaking English, but the little phrases are fantastic. Yeah, I've picked up on some of those over here. You know, it's just hey, people talk differently all over the world, and people in Maine talk very different from people in Georgia where you live, different from Texas where you've been for the last month. You know, different all over, and uh, you know, obviously different country, different dialects. You pick this stuff up, and Liam certainly lays them on pretty well. I feel like Noel has kind of upped his game as far as eloquence over the years. He realizes, look, I'm I'm really wealthy now. You know, I, I'm always going to be a guy from Manchester, but I need to speak with a little more eloquence. You know, maybe try to choose my words a little more carefully. Don't have to cuss quite so much. Can expand the vocabulary a little bit. But they both seem to be doing pretty well these days. There was a great interview with, I think it was The Who. And it wasn't, no, it wasn't The Who. It was just Roger Daltrey. Mm-hmm. And some the person asked him, I think it was Howard Stern, asked him, hey, you know, I heard Pete Townsend, he called you a geezer. That's got to upset you, right? And, and, and Daltrey's like, no, 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 you don't understand. Geezer is... That's a term of endearment. It's a good guy. You're going to love this. He's a, from around the way. He's a geezer. Mm-hmm. But it sounds, it, it, I mean, to us, it sounds like you're making fun of him or something like an old person or something right. like that. But no, 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 you don't get it. it so I, I would imagine it's pretty cool to be over there and hear these terms where I'm like, yeah, I could, I could maybe slide a couple of those into everyday conversations exactly. to try and yeah. fit in a little bit. Exactly. Yeah. And what, you know, I didn't realize at the time is like they had put together what is, in my opinion, the strongest lineup in the history of Oasis. Having Gam Archer come in and do the second guitar work. Uh, but he and, he and Noel do some weaving. They, they definitely kind of spot off a little bit, especially when Noel's singing. And, and Gem is, is a great guitar player. And then Andy Bell they got in. Apparently Andy wasn't even really a bass player. He's more of a guitar player and a keyboard player, but he can sing and he's a good songwriter. So like, okay, you're going to play bass. So he had to learn how to play the bass. And then he had to learn Oasis' stuff 
on the bass in short order to kind of join the band. And they kind of got their feet wet with Heathen Chemistry, their fifth album, which came out in 2002. And each of them got a a songwriting credit on the album, along with Liam. That was the first time that had happened. First four albums, it was all, always Noel Gallagher. Now, all right, he's loosening the reins on that. He's like, okay, I've got actual talented people. Giggsy and Bonehead were good guys from Manchester, I guess. There had been Liam's buddies in the band before Noel had joined. But now he's like, look, we it's we're up in our game. Apparently he got crossed with both of them. I also think they just weren't quite major league level, and he could get major league guys, and he did. Well, the, the big thing for me, I didn't know who Gam Archer was, and I didn't know who Andy Bell was. I mean, they were saying, they were sitting there talking, but to me, the big thing on this was Zach Starkey. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, you got him on drums. That dude is a, mer- not a mercenary, but he kind of, like, he's the go-to guy. He was in the Who for a long time. Mm-hmm. You know, Ringo's son automatically gives you pretty big street cred there. That's right. But going back to what you were saying about loosening the reins, I, I heard an interesting thing about the beat. The Beatles were obviously the four lads. You had four lead singers and four dudes who could write songs. Now, obviously, you know, John and Paul were the, the workhorses, mm-hmm. but then they were talking about the Beach Boys, and Brian Wilson did everything. Mm-hmm. He was the only person. So who knows? Maybe, you know, at some point in time, Noel's like, I gotta, I gotta loosen this up a little bit because I'm doing all the heavy lifting. I'm in charge of writing all the songs. Let's see what these guys can do. And and to your point, you know, you get some guys in here who are a little better musicians musicians little better songwriters mm-hmm. it, it makes for a more complex album because i mean he doesn't even he doesn't even write all of the songs on this it isn't like you know this person and noel or you know this person this person noel gallagher i mean they're they're solo writing credits on this thing so it makes it sound different which is cool that's right i mean uh, if my count is correct noel only writes five of the 11 songs like going from absolutely everything including all the b-sides for the first decade, basically, that they're around. And now they are here they are on their sixth album, and most of the songs are not written by Noel Gallagher. However, however, they had three singles. Lila, which is a great feel-good song. We'll go through the songs in a minute. The Importance of Being Idle and Let There Be Love. He did write all of those songs. And some of the B-sides, most all of the B-sides as well, right? Yeah. Well, you figure too that, okay, so they don't, let's not get this mixed up. He's still in charge of things. Right. So, but the cool part is like the first one, Turn Up the Sun by Andy Bell. If you turn that in and he's like, yeah, cool, let's go with this. Obviously he, it's, it's, there's no committee there. It's, he approves it and then it goes on the record. So it's got to feel pretty good that it gets past that Mm -hmm. and on, because I think think every person on here has got a writing credit. Yep, absolutely. Every member of the band. So that's pretty cool. But yeah, that is funny how, to your point, well, you know, there's songs on the records and then there's the singles, which will be my songs. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yes. But no, I I thought it was great. What was interesting to me in the documentary is you could see that Dave Sardi saying like, this has been cobbled together. It's not like they went off someplace and they had all these songs and they worked it up. They got to do gigs in France. All right, so then they'll book a little studio time here and do it there. Then they're going to go back to England. Then they're going to go to the second studio. Then they're going to, you know, wherever they are, they're just cobbling this thing together from pieces everywhere, you know, because uh, usually a solid album like that, it doesn't, you might be in a couple different places or you might work, mix it in one place and do recording elsewhere. It just seems like they usually get in one place and get it done. Whereas this, it seems like they were never in the same place for a week or for five days, but still they kept 
carrying the tapes or carrying the files around with them, and they got they put together something. I think it's their their best album since What's the Story, Morning Glory. I, I did not care for Standing on the Shoulders of Giants much, and I think that the band was falling apart at you know in some ways at that time. Heathen Chemistry was their next step forward, but it wasn't quite there yet. Every album has a few songs for me. Out of the seven, you know, it's this one. It's Don't Believe the Truth and What's the Story, Morning Glory. Those are my, those are the two Oasis records that I go to when I want to hear Oasis. Well, it's interesting too that you were talking about how they, how they kind of cobbled this thing together. There really is no recipe for success here because i mean there have been great albums where they've they've had all the music written they go in and just record it it's fairly easy there have been great albums where they kind of don't really have anything and then they go to the studio and and find some stuff and then there's stuff like this where you just take bits and pieces and you just make it work so i think that probably comes back to you know the team that you put together Mm -hmm. and the producer and everything like that you know how much heavy lifting they're going to do to to come up with the final product these 11 songs in this order then sounding all the same it, it just it, they just made it work you just make it work well i mean zach starkey is the best drummer they had you know certainly on any of their albums he's top notch you know i've seen him with the who i've seen him with oasis we'll get to that but but he's awesome and he finally had him and of course they put him in the videos mm-hmm. as if you've got ringo's son might as well put him in the video Oh sure, you know, uh, I think it's kind of strange that they don't. And I don't know what the what the situation was that he's not really part of the band. I mean, he's on the record; they credit him, but mm-hmm. I mean, he's not. He was he was a gun for hire mm-hmm. on that on those deals, right? And I, I he wasn't really in the band on the next album, really. Or he certainly didn't tour on the next tour. But maybe the Who were back together at that point. I don't know. He's certainly in demand and could take whatever's best for him. I bet it was fun for a while. Because he is such a studio musician. Yeah, he's played big gigs. You play in The Who, you play big gigs, but you're playing to old people. If you were playing Oasis, you know, there'll be a young crowd, there'll be a different energy. And while they're, they may not still be in their heyday in 2005 and six like they were in 94, 95, 96, and 97 and there, it would still, I think, be a lot of fun to do an Oasis tour, man. Yeah, there would be more of a, it would be more of a rock star tour. You're right. The the Who is going to, yeah, they're going to sell tickets, but yeah, there's going to be a lot of people sitting down at the Who shows yeah, these exactly. days. And yeah, it's just a younger, more energetic deal. And, and again, it's, he can do whatever he wants at this point in time. It's pretty cool that story about how if you didn't know who he was at all, you say, "Okay, this guy's this guy's pretty good, a pretty good drummer, pretty good musician." Mm-hmm. And then to to know that he is the son of Ringo Starr, because you figure how many people that were the son of somebody else, they were like, "Yeah, they never really. They did some stuff. They they pretended to be a thing, but they never really were. It never lived up to the hype." This guy definitely is the the latter of the two. He he's standing on his own he's mm-hmm. a great musician well that's 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 right you know and then gem archer you know who i guess was on creation records his his band was on the same label and that's how noel had known him and he basically just told him he wanted to be in the band in a big way and uh he's coming down and recording with him and i think they everybody's like am i gonna be in the band uh, what does what does liam think and noel's like it's my fucking band i'll decide who's in it who isn't you know so he already sent bonehead off so it's like all right you're you're in and of course Gem, who, look, after Oasis broke up, basically everybody who is in Oasis who wasn't Noel Gallagher went on to form BDI. And they made a couple of records. That's Gem and Andy and and Liam. And I think Chris Sherrick, who had been their touring drummer after uh, Zach left, 
they all kind of went and did BDI. BDI had some really good songs, but you know, Noel went off to his High Flying Birds once BDI pretty well fell apart. Gem came back and is now a member of the High Flying Birds, and, and Noel welcomed him back. And I, I've seen him play now with the Birds, so they're they're still on good terms. But having Andy and Gem in there, who can write songs, who are creative artists in their own right, they can contribute. They can contribute stuff on different instruments. The harmonica on, uh, is it Mucky Fingers? Is, is Gam with Noel going, give me more, give me more. And he's just wailing on it, wailing on it, you know? So you, you put enough talent around, not just my old mates from back in Manchester, but let's get the real talent here and it can bring out all this amazing music. Yeah, I think it was interesting that, when, like you said, when they, when they broke up, they pretty much all went to BDI except for Noel. Yeah. Interesting, okay. I guess, you know, you got to pick in the divorce, you got to pick mom or dad. So, Well, you know, look, I mean, Noel can obviously write all of his own songs. He can sing too. Liam needs songwriters, needs a band. So let's just keep the band together and we'll, you know, and we'll share more songwriting. We don't need what's his name anymore. But, you know, and, and the first album that, you know, they played the Olympics. I mean, you know, they did some big gives, good songs, but it's not quite the same. And I would, I would take the birds over BDI personally, but we're not here to get way into that. Let's get into, let's get into the album a little bit. Please check out this word from our sponsors. Oh, wait, we don't have any sponsors. <laughs> Well, just listen to me farting on a snare drum. Goes, we'll go. We'll kind of go track by track here. T start off with "Turn Up the Sun" and Andy Bell, right? Great way to open an album. I mean, strong, powerful, pounding, but still, "Turn Up the Sun." That's upbeat. Yeah, it, it, I, I liked it. it. You're right. It's a good track to start the record with. I think that it's interesting that it, again, it's an Andy Bell only written song, so it's going to sound a little different. It sound, it doesn't sound like it's not Oasis, but it also kind of sounds a little different, which I think is is interesting, loosening up the reins a little bit. It, mm -hmm. But it's a good track on its own. I agree. No, it stands up on its own. It's kind of the ringing guitar at the beginning of the end. It's not exactly what Oasis is known for. More the big, fatter chords, but it, it, it turns out great, and it was a great way to open the show, too. Now, I okay. think they should always open the show with Hello off What's the Story, Morning Glory. I think that's a killer way, killer big track with big old riffs. Gets people going. You're saying hello. But, you know, Turn Up the Sun was, was a great way to open the show. I'm, I'm glad I, I saw them do it. Now, then they go into Mucky Fingers, which is more of a straight up vroom, 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 kind of in your face a little bit. But again, great lyrics by Gallagher. I mean, he's he doesn't just come up with the right music, with the right tunes, the right chord progression. He can put a lot of good, I don't know, he, he, he can put you in the right frame of mind in just a phrase or two, it seems. He, he, he can create a world briefly with his words his lyrics are underrated in my opinion and this isn't like a real deep song mucky you get your mucky fingers burned you get the truth yeah. from the lies you were learned but uh, it's but it's still smart in a lot of ways i don't know i just think he's sharp yeah i think he is again going back to the whole they were you know popular kind of on pop radio I, yeah i don't think he gets enough credit as being a songwriter the turn of the phrase yeah this is not imagine um, but then again they don't all have to be right so but it is it is i like the song and and it is it, the more time that you listen to it you kind of appreciate it more 
Yeah, I agree. And it's it's in your face. I mean, you can't say it's not a rocker. You can't say they've gone too soft if they're doing this song. Right. And the great harmonica in the middle, it's better than a wailing guitar, man. I think it fits it perfectly. And I don't think, I'm, I don't really remember too many harmonica parts on Oasis songs, so that's kind of a cool change of pace. Also, you're throwing something else in. It's not that it doesn't fit. It's kind of new. It's mm-hmm. different. It, it makes the song stand out from the others. Yeah, and it sounds like a train when he's wailing at the end there. Yeah. A little chug on it. I, I love it. Good, another another killer one, man. And then they get to the big single, the big first single, Lila, which is a sing-along Oasis song, if ever there was one, right? I had never heard this song before, and that first, the first line of it, calling out, I'm like, that's Street Fighting Man. You're, they, I, I thought they were going to cover that. Ah. And that no, okay, in the song, okay, that's like, don't look back in anger. That's a tip of the cap to the Stones. We love you. Here's a here's a here's something that sounds quite a bit like it to pay homage to that, the boys. I think that's anyway. interesting. I, if you told me if you told me it wasn't, I there's no way that you did that on purpose. Uh, I I'd never and as much, as many times as I've heard that track by the Stones, I never put those two together. Action, so that is interesting. Good to I you know and I, I've never heard that. Here's the thing, Noble often. Be like, I was listening to Doors when I was doing the like, yeah, because you ripped off five to one. I can hear it in the song, man. It's obvious. You know, it boom, boom, boom. Yeah, I know what you're doing, you know. But that's one that kind of slipped past me. So I'm not sure if you're right or wrong, but that's a good call by you. Interesting. I And, and the, the first couple, it sounds like on this record, they, they got... There are there is some Beatles stuff on here, but I got a lot of the Kinks too. Mm. That, just kind of that that not not anything like like Lila, like that, not that straight ahead, but just kind of like that. You know, uh, the what is it, the Sunday afternoon song by the Kinks? Oh yeah, like kind of like that cool like vibe to it. So yeah, but it, but like I said, I thought they were. I thought he was covering Street Fighting Man on that first the first uh, line from that from Lila, gotcha. and then it was you know calling out. Oh no, okay, this is your own song, but that's cool. Yeah, no, but this was this one's the you get people up, the crowd sing along. That's right. Yeah. Put the big lights on, flash lie, love, you know, on, on each one. Eyeball Tickler, though, uh, was the B-side by Gem Archer. So Gem got a little bit of uh, got a little bit of play there. And it's it's not a bad song. It's a uh, it's definitely a uh, B-side, if you ask me. And then but then, you know, they also have Won't Let You Down as a Liam song. Uh, that was part of the the digital download or part of the CD single, you know, and then it, I guess in the UK DVD. It was Can You See It Now, which was, I think it was a Nolan. It's it's basically, it's a, an instrumental. Okay. I think at the end you say, can you see it now? I can see it now. Can you see it now? But, you know, it's, it's basically an instrumental. But, you know, I, I think it did pretty well for them. Went to number one in the UK. That's a big deal. You know, got into the top 10 all over Europe. Sold, you know, hundreds of thousands. So, And they had a, a video shoot where there's a girl who's kind of in a tough relationship. She's in black and white. Then she breaks down the walls, and now she's the belle of the ball with the boys playing, you know, in a big tent. But now that you say that, that it was Street Fighting Man, they made the tent up. They wanted it to look like the Stones Rock and Roll Circus. Like the Rock and Roll Circus. That's so right. So maybe there's a little bit more to Jackson than meets the eye there, folks. <laughs> Maybe he's the smart one of the Gallagher's. He's the smart Gallagher. He's action Gallagher. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, yeah, big hit. Nice song. Then they slow it back down a little bit. Like, 
Love Like a Bomb, which Liam and Gem wrote together. Kind of a short one, not even three minutes long. And it's got, uh, you know, it's pretty acoustic, kind of got an acoustic chug to it, you know, folky. And then it's got a, it's uh, it's almost like a sitari kind of uh, lead guitar over it, would you say? Yeah, and, and I think Andy was saying something about how when Liam can play the guitar, but he, it's like he's playing the guitar like he's trying to saw it in half. Right. Like he's just, he just attacks the thing and kind of makes it up. Up as he goes along which is kind of cool i like this song uh you know it's it's a it's liam and gem writing on their own mm-hmm. I, I like it you know it is short but you know it's kind of it, i think it could have been a single off the record it's it's kind of it's got a catchy hook to it you know bum, 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 oh bum, i agree yeah bum. okay yeah i think gem has uh, good lyrics you know he's he's solid and liam delivers them well so blowing my mind you know but it's you know so it's got a little psychedelia still in it maybe with between the blowing my mind and the guitar part I, I think it's well done and then you get to the importance of being idle to me this could be the high water mark of Noel Gallagher's career and I love his stuff with high flying birds everything oh, right. that came after I love Morning Glory and all this stuff this could be the best song he's ever done and I think he knows it too okay okay <laughs> interesting to me this one sounded like the kinks yeah no this is a great song and yeah written by himself I don't think he's got, let's see. He doesn't write with other people, generally speaking. Yeah. It's all him. Yeah, he writes. No, yeah, I like this song. It is, it is cool. This, that's, this one stood out to me also as a. It's, it's a nice change of pace. It's not like Love Like a Bomb, mm-hmm. so we're changing gears again, which is cool on the record. I like when you do that. You kind of mix it up a little bit. I'm with you, and it's, it's acoustic, but it's, it's very stark acoustic. It, it's almost like a march of an acoustic, and the way he kind of does that falsetto voice. Yeah. Um, and gets up high and down like that. I'm like, wow. And But the thing is, in that video, you see him say, so I, I'm listening back to it, and it's not that I was surprised that I could do it because I could hit that falsetto. It was just I was surprised. Like, wow, that's really good. I'm really awesome. I'm like, yeah, you, you're still so full of yourself. Both of you are at this point. It's unbelievable. But... Eh, it is actually pretty pretty darn good and he hasn't not sung it in concert since right who wants to hear a great song by me <laughs> uh, it, it, it was and it was kind of a cool change of pace too with with his vocal delivery because i had not heard him sing like that before so that was pretty cool you know you kind of expand the boundaries of what you can do yeah i mean it's a good song but you know you could be a little humble maybe yeah, right. what's what i thought was good was they had i mean it's basically the importance of being idle which is basically like sitting around and doing nothing's the, the greatest job in the world and you listen to the yeah. lyrics how he He doesn't do too much. People expect more of him, but they're barking up the wrong tree. I'd never seen the video before until we we decided to do the show. And and so, and Reese Ifans, who's probably best known as being Hugh Grant's goofy roommate in Notting Hill, who who walks out to the reporters, you know, and he's been in all sorts of stuff. I mean, he was, you know, he was the great DJ on pirate radio, or it's actually called the boat who rocked over here. I'm not really sure why he's been in so many movies. He's a great actor, but that's probably where the world knows him best. No, I know him best from what was that movie with Keanu Reeves? Yeah, where they the were football the, movie. The football team. Yeah. And he's like, I thought you said he was all muscle. He, he's smoking a cigarette. <sighs> I'm wiry. He's wiry. Yeah. Beat it. Lammy. I'm bloody Welsh. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> 
Such a good movie. I don't even recall the name. I can't believe they got Gene Hackman. That kind of sullies his whole career, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, no, the, the movie was stupid. I just love that. I just love that the the walk in where he, you know, he's he's going to be the the kicker on a professional football team, and he's smoking while he's walking in there. Yes, yes, that's the B side. Pass me down the wine is actually. I think it's the best of all the B sides that I've heard off this album. Of course, they have six or seven as they are wont to do. Could have been on the album all the others to me are b-sides you know they're they're just not quite thought out all the way you know they're not quite 100 percent songs but like well, i know it's going to be a b-side so let me just get it to this point and then we'll, we'll put it out but to me pass me down down the wine is good and then the quiet ones another gam archer i mean good for him you know he's he's he may not be writing the singles, but his B-sides are getting on the singles, right? So, you know, mm-hmm. excellent, right? Absolutely. Yeah, to, to have your stuff included. And and I think over there, even though they're B-sides, they get a lot more attention than mm-hmm. they do in the United States. If it's a B-side in the United States, forget it. You're never going to hear You're it. You're never going to hear it. No, no. But you might get here. You might hear it somewhere uh, on some radio around here. Absolutely. And so I think that kind of, obviously this is a CD, but to me that wraps up kind of part one, maybe not side one, but part one of the record. Okay. Okay. That's big time. Moving on to the meaning of soul. Here's a little Liam song that's right up in your face. Boom. boom, It's like a little train coming at you. Zach's got those drums. Boom, boom, boom in the middle. It's not even two minutes long. It's about the shortest song recorded in the last 30 years. And the cool part about this was, and this was from the video, I guess he was a big, I don't know if it was Noel or was Zach, was a big fan of DJ Fontana, who was Mm -hmm. the drummer for Elvis. And they showed him record, they showed Starkey recording it, and he's got a Wheaties box on the stair, and he's beating the Wheaties box with, I think, wooden spoons to get that real, like that flat thump, 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 thump. Ah, That's pretty cool. It is cool. Stuff like that. I don't know. I would have never guessed that. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I don't know that much about playing the drums. But to, to think about that now, it's, no, 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 it's not sounding right. What else can we do? Okay, no, I need flatter. Okay, what do you got? Uh, cereal box. Okay, yeah, let's that. try it. That was pretty cool. I like that. And, and now, now that I know that, when I hear it, I think of him beating on the Wheaties box with the wooden spoon. Well, that's fair enough, you know. But straight ahead rocker, mm-hmm. it, it fits in well on the album. I mean, we're more than halfway through here, and there's no clunkers yet. All pretty darn good songs. And the next one, guess God thinks I'm able, is another Liam. It's kind of the last Liam right on the record, and it's got some nice, it's got some nice guitar on it, but I, it's not my favorite uh, i'll say it okay. that way yeah, yeah it, it's okay it's it's kind of one that you know it, i wouldn't skip through it if i was listening to the to the album but yeah not one of my favorites either and it's, it's a little beat beatlesque you know some of the chorus and, and stuff like that it's, it's not a bad song um, i would not call it a clunker but you know it's it's kind of like yeah okay yeah not bad what else you got and then next part of the queue now see i think this is a brilliant song it's a brilliant Noel Wright part of the cue. I think that that's the best song on the record, in my opinion. You think so? It's a real hard left turn. It's nasty. And it's just about, you know, you just get that, like, you're in, you're living in this big city, mm-hmm. but you're invisible. Like, you don't, you've just kind of lost your way. There's nothing, there's nothing for you. You don't know who you are or where you're going. And it's just, the, the whole thing is just disgusting. And I love it. It, it is, right? Yeah. It, it's kind of a coming of age, like, you know, how did I get here? I can't believe I'm not going to die like this, am I? You know, it, it, kind of looking back on what his life could have been if he hadn't yeah. taken the rock and roll turn. 
right? Yeah. And, and to think that, I mean, again, you're, you're part of this thing, you, you know, you live with a million people, but like, if you disappeared tomorrow, would anybody really miss you or know that you were gone mm-hmm. because you're, you're just a cog in this giant wheel and that it kind of gets ways on you after a while. Who am I? What am I doing? Here? Right. What Every do I day in? is the same, you know, uh, I'm clocking at the same job. I'm buying groceries at the same supermarkets. Like what, what am I doing, man? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, just, it's, it's dark and it's cold too. And the, the way that England, the way that London is, London is a dark, cold place for most of the year. And, and it just kind of Manchester's worse. <laughs> Manchester's worse. It's just a little further North. It's just a little less sun, just a little yeah. colder during the winter time. No doubt about it. You know, now <laughs> they use this song in the movie North country, which was a Charlize Theron movie. I think it based on a true story about a woman, you know, who worked in a coal mine and had to battle, you know, sexism and you know, the way things were in the country back then. And I seem to remember it being like in a TV ad on the, on the TV. I'm like, I heard the song. Like, oh, that's Oasis. I'm like, well, now I got to go see that, go see that movie, you know, and it had Woody Harrelson and, and Sean Bean, who I really like in it. And then what's her name? Frances McDormand, who just won yet another Oscar. Is she, she's at least, is she won three now? She won three Oscars? She could have. Yeah. She's, she's pretty good at what she's she does. Pretty big time. Yeah. So, I'm, but I, but I don't recall it being in the movie. I remember being in the ads. I'm sure it probably was in the movie. I just don't recall. They, they probably didn't use it that much, but um, I, I agree. I mean, I don't know if I agree with you. It's the best song on the album. I think it's awesome. I think it's, it's one of Noel's better works and it's why he only needs five songs on the album. If they're all the singles plus that mucky fingers, my God, man, he's done his job. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely, and, and, and like I said, it's a it's a nice change of pace. It, it doesn't sound like anything else on the record, and so it's it's a little harder and it's a little more raw, and that's why I like it. I like it too. I think uh, next is "Keep the Dream Alive." It's Andy Bell's second contribution to the album, and it's a little oh, it's I guess it's a little psychedelic. It's kind of kind of a sixty-ish throwback thing. It's it's a little long for me. It is the longest song on the album, and it seems like it drags. I don't think it drags. It's just kind of like, yeah, I've kind of been here. I've heard that same distorted guitar for a while. I don't know. What did you think of it? Yeah, I mean, it, it's okay. I, it's it's not my favorite song, but yeah, it's it's it fits in with the rest of it. But it fits. I kind of just. I mean, I listen to it because I'm listening to the whole record. Right. Yeah. Not a bad song. It does fit in with everything they were doing, but I just and, and it, it's just it's it's too long. It it, it it can be cut short. We can cut some of that out of there. I feel like <laughs> we can find it somewhere. But the next, a bell will ring. The only Gem Archer, you know, solo song, right? Because he did Love Like a Bomb with Liam. Bell will ring. Positive song. Liam delivers it pretty well. Andy Bell said it was his favorite lyrics on the uh, on the whole record. They were talking too about how I mean, a bell will ring. What what does that mean? Does that mean you get hit in the head <laughs> and you know the bell ring, or is it Andy calling you? <laughs> the bell will ring. I just thought that was funny. And it was funny, too, that it was not written by Andy Bell. It was written by Gam. So it's it's just an interesting turn of phrase. Well, you know, you, you know, something will go off your head and, you know, you will realize what you have to do with your life. Or that song will come to you. Suddenly, a bell will ring and yeah. ah, it'll yeah, yeah, all yeah. fit together, yeah. right? And apparently, also from the video, it was Ringo's favorite song on the record. Okay. Of course, he got to hear it before maybe the rest of us did. If he really wanted to, he would have that kind of accent. But Gem's like, it's Ringo's favorite, which, look, if you find out that one of the Beatles likes your song the best on record, while, you know, that his kid's playing on and that Noel Gallagher's writing songs on and he likes yours the best, 
that's a pretty big charge, man. Yeah, and, and to me, this sounded a lot like Revolver, too. The You know, just kind of that Revolver era for the Beatles. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, you're right. If if Ringo likes it, that's kind of your, you know, little... I know you wrote most of the songs on the record. I know I'm just the one of the dudes, but Ringo liked my song. That's he liked my best. That. So take that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then it, it ends up with the last single, Let There Be Love, which is very Beatles-esque. And they do share the lead singing here you know there's Liam starts off and then Noel comes in later it is obviously a very pretty kind of symphonic song this song had been around for a little while though like I said this was kind of the heady days of Napster and I had gotten myself a a digital copy of a demo that was just Noel and his acoustic guitar and it was faster it was it was more like Lila than it was Let There Be Love yeah I, I, I like this song it's it's okay to me. The The high point is the, the double lead on there because mm-hmm. it, it's cool to hear their voices go back and forth. They don't, they're not totally different. They're, they're, they have a lot of similarities, but you can also tell the difference. And it, 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 this is what makes the song for me. Fair enough. Yeah. And they stretch it out a little bit, but it, and they put some piano and stuff like that on it to make it kind of radio friendly and all that. But it, it's, it's a lovely song. It really is at the end of the day. It was going to be more of a rocker, I think, originally. He's like, no, nah, that's not quite right. I'll just keep that in the vault until I can figure that one out. And well, I know- that is pretty cool when you hear that. You hear other, you know, the original version of it and, you know, you wrote it. You liked it, but you said, eh, I like it, but it's right. missing something. Mm-hmm. Something is wrong with this, or so- something needs a little more polishing. And then to, to hear it in its final version is pretty cool. Okay, this is, th- then you mess with it a little bit. Okay, here's here's what it needed to be. I got it now. Right, right. And I don't know if that was all him or if it was working with Dave Sardi. Uh, who produced the record, and he went on to produce the next record, and the first Noel Gallagher's High Flying Birds record, and now he's worked with all sorts of stuff. I mean, all sorts of people, including, you know, The Who and the Rolling Stones and Nine Inch Nails, and just an incredible who's who of rock and roll, while still doing some some smaller ones. But then he also did, um, you know, some music scores like Zombieland and Ghost Rider and uh, that movie 21 about the kids from MIT who went to Vegas and were so awesome at Blackjack. You know, they basically counted cards to become pretty wealthy, you know. So the guys had a a pretty long career and I I feel like he had a pretty good relationship with Noel at that point to be able to crank all this out. And and in so many different places. It's not like we're going to the country for three months, we're going to crank this out together. No, he's chasing them all over Europe and the world. Yeah, it, it, and it's a nice way to end this, the end of the record too. Kind of a nice little send off. It is, it is, and you know, Oasis records were never all that long. And in you know, in this day and age, you expect to maybe get an hour's worth of music on a CD. It's it's you know, fifty five to sixty five minutes is kind of what you expect. But you know, forty two and a half, you know, forty three minutes. That's what you get. That's it. You know, there's going to be B sides. And there was a there was another one. I think another Noel uh, sitting here in silence on my own. Yeah, another two minute. One of the small B sides. There's not much to it. Again, I, I think it was just kind of half of a song, or it's just an acoustic thing. But at any rate, there's always going to be a little bit more that you can dig into. But they're like, nope, this is it. We're not going to give you 14 songs. You get this. Here's the 11 songs. Yeah. What's the story? Morning Glory was basically only 10 songs. I mean, there's a couple of, you know, less than one minute kind of go-betweens between songs there. But there's only only 10 songs, and six of those were singles. So, you know, why, why, not, why put out an hour-long album when the kids will buy the 40-minute version? Uh, and you're going to have big songs anyway. So, yeah. So after I heard this, I'm like, oh, my God. And I listened to it, Jackson, 
over and over and over in 2005 and 2006. It was my go-to. Went to it over and over. So when they toured, I had to go see them. And I'm so glad that I did. And that's that's always the, the wild card, too, with something like this especially for these guys like you know you put the record out okay show's coming up is everybody going to be there are they going to be happy together tonight what, what am i going to get out of this right. so i'm glad that you had a positive experience with your show well it was great you know we saw him near cleveland cuyahoga falls it was a big amphitheater and we didn't have the best seats in the world but we're kind of in the middle you know and, and underneath not on the lawn but at actual seats and they played what they played more than half of the new record i mean that's the thing it, it's great when you go see a band and you love all the old stuff and you're like, okay, we're going to have to sit through four, five, six new songs. But when you go see a band and like their new album you love and it's awesome and it's their best in years, like you can't wait to go see those songs fit in with all the old classics, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's exactly the way it was. And you know, how old was I then? I was in my early 30s and then I saw some some older people there, but then we sat next to some like high school girls, you know, who were dancing and singing the whole time, you know? So it's like, yeah, it was good to see like, not just, because let's face it, most of the bands I'm seeing at that point are older bands and I'm the young guy there in my early 30s, right? Mostly people in their 50s and 60s and stuff like that. But to go see a band, a rock band, and I think Airborne were opening for them. They were awesome. You know, they had just come out with their first album, I think. So I was like, yeah, man, a cool young rock band with a young crowd who's going to be up for it. And it was packed. And they, you know, and they played big hits. They played the new songs. It was great, man. I was like, damn, that's great. When they come back again, I'm going to see them again. And I did. So the thing is, the next time around, they played theaters. They didn't play big amphitheaters where you play to 10, 12, 15, 20,000 people. They're playing like 2,000 seaters. And so I, you know, I, once again, I went to see them, you know, at the Taft in Cincinnati and at the Marat in Indianapolis. I think I was supposed to go see them again. I, Somebody got me tickets, got me the promoter or whoever down there, tickets to see him at the Ryman. And I was going to go again, which would have been awesome. But it was like the next day I had to participate in a funeral. Like I had to be a pallbearer. And I I wasn't going to be able to take the She-Wolf who got a discount at the hotel right across the street. So it was going to be prohibitively expensive for me to go. So I was going to have to drive home that night. So I have to drive three hours home. If it's one and a half hours, that's one thing. But it's three hours and I lose an hour going from central time back to Eastern. So you're talking about getting home at three in the morning. I'm like, yeah, I just seen him twice. Do I really need to see him a third time? And technically, I've already seen him three times. So I'm like, do I really need to see him again? No, don't risk you know having five pallbearers because of you, right? Yeah. Um, just, just go ahead and skip it. But I mean, to me, that was an amazing tour. And I think the tour did really well. The next album... Dig Out Your Soul, which of course I was excited about as well, really kind of missed the mark for me. It's just kind of surprising to me. It's like, really? You know, you do one that's so good. You've got this band back together again. You know, you've got these great songwriters. And it was just kind of, yeah, to me. Yeah, and that's, and that's too bad because you know you can't, the, you listen to this record, you know you can do it. You know you've got the talent, you know you've got the musicianship, and then, yeah, to have something that kind of sputters out. Uh, and that was the last one, wasn't it? Yeah, see, that was the last one. And they did some touring on that. 
And then you know, Nolan, Liam were at each, each other's throats. Finally, he's like, nah, that's it. I've had enough. That's it. I'm gone. I'm leaving. Noel's taking his ball and he's going home. You know, and I think uh, he's done great work. Now, Liam's done two BDI albums and now two so- solo records. And there's definitely good stuff on there. But he doesn't quite have what, what Noel has. And he doesn't have yeah. the songwriting ability and the, all the people around him, it would seem to me. And I don't... <sighs> I know stranger things have happened, and so I don't want to say never, but I mean, I heard an interview with Liam in, it was probably 2019, mm-hmm. and the interviewer kind of broached the subject of Oasis, and at that point in time, there just didn't seem like there was any way they were going to see eye to eye again. Just not. They have not yeah, just, spoken since that night in Paris. Since they had the row, the broke of the band. They have not spoken. Now, from what I understand, Liam has kind of gently reached out a couple of times. And Noel has still got, he wants nothing to do with him. Noel is insanely rich. Noel is wealthy. Noel, you know, lives in a mansion and has a chauffeur. Can't drive. Uh, But he has a chauffeur and several cars, you know. Uh, He's remarried again. You know, he has kids in school. He's making great solo records and gets to work with whomever he wants. He doesn't need Liam. It would shock me. I mean, I always say give people enough time. Eventually, the dollar signs are going to be big enough. And eventually, it will happen. I I don't know about this one. And, you know, they love Johnny Marr and the Smiths. Johnny Marr's never bowed to that pressure or bowed to it, I guess. You know, now, of course, part of it's Morrissey. and, And Morrissey probably doesn't need the Smiths either but you know they've never done it and i don't think that's ever going to happen so i don't know they're still relatively young they're just in their 50s early to mid 50s maybe they get in their 60s and mellow and they say all right well let's let's just do one more rake in all that money and then we never have to see each other ever again people will stop asking you about it finally after 20 years or whatever it'll be at that point but and and with something like that they probably wouldn't even have to put out a new record if it if that much time because you don't really care at that point anyway you're just looking for the hits but just to think about how of important of uh, how big this band was for the the people in the uk kind of the voice of the generation Mm -hmm. and to have them not even speaking to each other and their family it's just it's just kind of sad to me because what was it that was really that bad i mean uh, you know you had your differences but what was it really that you would never talk to your brother again that's that's insane to me you know but when they're sharing a room and your brother broke your favorite record or he sold your favorite toy or it all builds up you know in all these little straws you know and eventually it's it's like did i ever get out of that that two-bed bedroom did i ever get out of it well he knows he's out of it now he knows he's out of it now yeah maybe that's the thing too you know like you said i live in this giant mansion i have a zillion dollars in the bank i do whatever i want to do why would i want to put up with that crap because you know that's what's going to happen you know it's going to be kissy lovey for the first 10 minutes and then it's oh here we go again yeah now i remember what an ass you are i don't want to hang out with you at all you know but see they have kids so it's like you don't see your nephews you don't have anything to do with them you know i mean that that's a little weak sauce to me you know yeah i agree at some point in time you have to for the good of everybody else you kind of have to put your differences inside okay listen yeah you you bent me out of shape and you did a b and c but that was a million years ago mm-hmm. water under the bridge let's you know take what we have moving forward and do something together repair the damage get the get the families together yeah that that to me that's sad yeah i mean you divorce wives you don't divorce children you right. know you, you, yeah you can break off an adult relationship but you know there's kids that need you in their lives so that that's a little weak to me but you know it's easy for me to say i guess it's it's not my relationship 
Um, <laughs> but, you know, the thing is, I, I think Liam just ran right into BDI. And then when BDI broke up, I think he was like, okay, now what? And I think now he does have a good manager, has a good relationship, has some better people around him. He doesn't have so much alcohol in his life because I feel like that's what fuels a lot of this stuff with the Gallaghers is the booze. Get some in them and suddenly... They don't have a filter, nor do they have any fear, and they're ready to fight. And, you know, I think he's got that under control. He's got his relationship with his kids are in better spots now because he has kind of not such a jerk and they're older and he's kind of repaired stuff enough with their mothers that he can kind of move on from some of that stuff. And it seems like Liam is in a better place now. So let's see how Liam can do on his own for a little while. Because Noel, uh, Noel's good to go, man. His band, Birds, are great. You know, he's basically got half of Oasis. I mean, the guy who played keyboard used to play in Oasis. Gamb is from Oasis, you know. I mean, he's 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 doing just fine. And I always, I can't wait for his new stuff to come out. He's still doing the same thing where he has B-sides. And he released three great albums. He also released three great EPs on vinyl only, which, you know, annoyed me. But, you know, I could get on vinyl and digital downloads. So I'm like, all right, well, give me that. And then at least I can listen to it on the phone. So, and then he put out a Greatest Hits album, Volume 1. So he's he's doing his thing. I don't think we're going to see any more Oasis. And maybe, maybe that's okay. Yeah, I mean, you do rather have... You'd rather have nothing than something that was horrible. Mm-hmm. If they put out a record that was just, it just didn't work. Yeah, you'd rather, you always leave them wanting more. Don't, oh boy, they shouldn't have done that. Oh, you know, one too many. So yeah, I, I don't think they're, they may get back together someday and do something. I mean, the Black Crows did and they mm-hmm. couldn't stand each other for a long time. That's right. But I don't think you're going to see a new Oasis record. And yeah, Noel jokes about it. You know, it's like, as soon as the money's right, 50 million quid, Jeff, sign me up. Why not? You know, get my own plane off to see the guy, you know, except for the two hours on stage. You know, I, I get right. it. Um, so, you know, and that's, and that's just fine. But I mean, it was, it was just, I know it didn't have the cultural impact because what's the story morning glory sound like, I don't know, 25, 30 million copies, something crazy all over the world. Don't believe the truth is more like 6 million, which is, you know, not, not bad, uh, especially at that time when so many things were being Napsterized and just kind of taken, yeah. it, you know, it, it went triple platinum in Britain, which is still a big deal. Nearly a million sold there. A couple hundred thousand in America. Obviously, it's just, it missed out. But then at that time in America, who was selling albums? Was anybody? I mean, I, I don't feel like anybody was. And I think Oasis was just kind of like, that's not new. And everything had to be brand new at that time between Napster, stealing and just... The music industry going, okay, now that music's free, the only way we can make money is we can't take a bet on a band, you know, and try to keep them together and figure out who the solo or the songwriters are. Let's just get someone who looks good. We'll hire a choreographer. We'll call a singer. We'll hire musicians. We'll hire a producer. And we'll just push them out until the public can't stand them, whether it's a boy band or it's a, you know, a female singer, whoever it is, will create these things because bands are too expensive, especially we can't have them not hit. We can't have their right. third or fourth record then be a somewhat of a hit. They got to be a hit right out of the gate. I think that's just the way music went, especially I think Napster pushed it further that way. Like Correct. all of a sudden you can't make money on, on records. You can't support a band who isn't successful right out of the gate. Yeah, which is too bad because, you know, we, we could spend a whole other show on the, you know, the band that they put out a couple records and then, you know, 
the third or the fourth one, that was the one where they really took off. And you're right, in that dynamic, you're never going to get three or four. You're going to get one, maybe. And if that doesn't work out, we're moving on. And I wonder, you know, don't believe the truth. It was kind of in reaction to like those early Bush years, right? The Barry, the conservatives is like, now, God, can we even believe what we see on TV? Which is kind of prescient considering what happened about 12 years later with the new regimes. Like, the truth really doesn't have anything to do with what they have to say anymore. It doesn't even really matter. They don't even try to dress it up. If I say it, it's true. Like, wow, you know, they were uh, they were onto something there. Yeah, we have we've come a long way since the you know the the days when you believe things were you know if it was in the paper it was true. Yeah, mm-hmm. if, if I don't like it, it doesn't paint me in a good light. Nah, it's made up. <laughs> We want to do this show to talk about stuff we love, and if we wanted to gain big listeners, we would probably just do, you know, diamond-selling records all the time. But to me, the part is I want to share what I like, and the fact that you'd never really listened to this album, like, well, that's a travesty, because if we'd lived together in 2005 and 2006, you would have heard this a bunch. And you would have gone to see them play it, you know. So that's why I thought it'd be a good idea to do a show on this one. Because well, and that's and that's what I love because I mean at this point in time, the stuff that I that I love, I've listened to a million times. So it's cool to get something new. And it's like if you like this, you're gonna love this. Interesting. Okay, I didn't even know they made this record. I had never heard of it before. Exactly. And so I mean, again, Oasis was yeah ninety what ninety five, ninety seven, and there and then in the two thousands. They were still around, maybe. Right. Okay. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, definitely, definitely a good, uh, a, uh, a good recommendation. Yeah. Well, thanks. I mean, you know, that's the thing. I mean, two hundred thousand sold in America versus six million for what's the story, Morning Glory. And it's basically the same. You know, triple platinum versus fifteen platinum in the in the UK. But you know, people know that record, and I think more people ought to know this one because yeah. it. To me, it was the zenith of the talent in the band. It was their best latter-day album. It was certainly the best of the last 10 years of their career. And, uh, you know, I, I just think more... I, I was so into it, I'm like, I don't know why this isn't more popular, but I think more people ought to like it. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. And, and who knows? Maybe, you know, if, if you listen to this, you could say, I'll give it a whirl, and I think you will be pleasantly surprised. <laughs> So that's our take on Oasis's Don't Believe the Truth, a great album with an incredible lineup that had some fantastic hits, some songs that are still done by Noel Gallagher to this day and the other guys uh, while they're out there touring. Just one I remember very fondly at an important time in my life where I was looking for good new rock and roll and Oasis really delivered here in a big way. After I'd found them, even though I ignored them through the heyday of their career, I'm really glad I came across them and I'm really glad they released this in 2005 so I could not only get to know this album, play it a thousand times and love it, but then get to go see them a few times before they imploded. And what are the odds we ever see them again? I don't know. Everyone says time cures all wounds and eventually the money will be big enough that they'll all want to get back together. But in this case, I'm not so sure. I may have already seen Oasis the last time I'm ever going to see them. And maybe that's okay because I saw them on a great tour supporting a great album. Next week, we're going to go back to the Iron Maiden well. The new video and song Riding on the Wall has really inspired us to go back into the catalog. And in watching the video, it kind of reminded us of the Somewhere in Time cover. And so it inspired us to go back and listen to it a few times. So next week, our episode number 38 will be all about Somewhere in Time record. Until then, did we get something right? Did we get something wrong? Did we miss the point? You have to let us know. Reach out to us on Twitter at ugly underscore werewolf or at 
ActionJack72. Make sure you download and subscribe all past episodes. You can get them anywhere, Apple, Spotify, Amazon, wherever you get your podcasts. You can also get them at www.uglyamericanwerewolf.libsyn.com. Until next week, rock and roll fans all over the world, be cool and stay safe. Maryland sports fans, there's only one sports book in the great state of Maryland with over 50 years experience booking bets and supporting customers. Betfred Sportsbook at Long Shots is now open and is the only sports book in Frederick offering cash betting on football, basketball, world soccer, and more. Visit the Betfred Sportsbook at I-270 and MD-85 in Frederick, right next to Longshot's off-track betting. Go to BetfredSports.com for more information and your chance to win exclusive merchandise. Must be 21 or older. Play responsibly. For help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.